from the Swiss Alps to the Canadian Rockies, celebrating unique connections between Switzerland and Canada. Brought to you by the Swiss representations in Canada. From the Alps to the Rockies. That title is especially fitting for today's episode in which we will talk about the Swiss mountain guides that literally came from the Swiss Alps to the Canadian Rockies to make the mountain region in Canada accessible. Before the 1900s, the Rockies were mostly seen as an obstacle within the landscape. And that was until the arrival of the Swiss guides, who did not only make the mountains accessible for tourism, but also brought with them a new appreciation for this vast mountain region. And that was just the beginning. Later generations of Swiss mountaineers have been crucial in the development of a strong mountain safety system and also the establishment of various skiing resorts. And here to share their unique story with us is Dr. Ilona Schulman-Spar. Dr. Ilona Schulman-Spar is a fellow Swiss living in Vancouver, Canada, and has done extensive research on the history of the Swiss guides in Canada. She's the author of a catalog on the history of Swiss mountain guides in the Rockies and the curator of a respective touring exhibition. She is also the author of a book on Swiss immigration history in Canada. And she is currently the education director and curator at the Vancouver Holocaust Education Center. Welcome, Ilona, and thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, to have me here today. Ilona, you have been doing research on the history and the legacy of the Swiss guides in Canada for several years. For you personally, what is the most fascinating aspect in the history of the Swiss guides? Well, for me, the most captivating aspect is that their legacy, in a way, still lives on today. And what I mean with this is, for example, today, it's so common that people go climbing, hiking, skiing, heli skiing or snowboarding in a relatively safe environment and also in a safe infrastructure located somewhere in a ski resort of their choice. And in a way, not too many people reflect on what it took to establish such resorts and safety protocols in the first place. Or, for instance, what kind of professional knowledge and experience was necessary to develop a mountain culture as we know it today. And this is, of course, where the Swiss mountain guides played a crucial role by sharing their knowledge and experiences that they brought with them from the Swiss Alps. And with that said, the same is true for mountaineering tourism in BC as well. Uh, tourism today plays such a significant part uh, of Western Canada's shared identity. Think, for example, uh, the Rocky Mountains, what they would be without its mountaineering culture. So today we pretty much take mountain culture and tourism for granted. I want to be clear that, of course, um, there was a, a certain mountain culture here before the Swiss came. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to acknowledge that, of course, the First Nations in Canada had their own way of uh, appreciation of the mountains. However, the Swiss guides were crucial um, to establish the, a mountain culture as we know it today. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and it was really interesting also how this all came about because it was basically the CPR, the Canadian Pacific Railway, who wanted to make um, the mountains accessible. So it was the, um, the CPR that hired the first Swiss guides in the 1890s. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this all came about? Yes, absolutely. So imagine that, um, of course, the construction of the Canadian Pacific Railway was so important um, and also the establishment of Canada's first national parks in Banff. Um, and with that, the Selkirk and Rocky Mountains were much more accessible than before. And so during that time, in particular, wealthy English and American mountaineering tourists were very attracted to the area. Uh, the Rocky Mountains were even called the Canadian Alps due to their resemblance to the Swiss Alps. And, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. they really liked that. So the mentality was um, and not untypical for this time for these tourists to come and conquer and take what is there in front of you. Right, so they saw these mountains and they wanted to do those first ascents. Mm -hmm. But after a deadly climbing accident and with the increase of interest in mountain climbing, it became very clear to the CPR that there was a need for professional guides. Mm -hmm. And the Swiss mountain guides at the time, they, had, they really had this excellent reputation. And so that's when in 1899, the CPR hired their first professional Swiss mountain guides. It was Christian Häsler Sr. and Edward Voigt Sr. from Interlaken in Switzerland. And then later more followed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what exactly, so when they were hired, um, can you tell us a little bit about what exactly they were hired to do? Yes, so um, it's important to understand that First, they were actually only hired for a season. So the season, the climbing season at the time was from May to September. So they were hired for these months. And at the beginning, they would then go back for the, after September, they would go back to Switzerland. And only later they stayed and, and settled mm -hmm. for the entire time. And so they all had their first grade Swiss certified guiding license, the so-called Führerpatent, which really would have qualified them to lead the most difficult tours. But at the, I would say in the first few years, they didn't really lead those very difficult tours. Again, it was um, mostly for tourism and um, most of the tours they did I want to say on a relatively easy level, either on ice or on the mountains. So what they had to do is, for example, they had to chop steps with ice axes and then rope their clients up the towers of ice seracs and crevices. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to say that they were bored with this work, but um, they definitely, in a way, um, welcomed more challenges and and that came later mm -hmm. with what I would say those really I also challenging and very risky ascents yeah from from what I've seen you know I have also seen pictures of these first mountain guides they're really also dressed in very traditional you know <laughs> climbing outfits and gear um, and they became themselves I think also a bit of an attraction right not just because of their skills but also because the way they looked right Oh, yes, absolutely. They had a very distinct look. Um, and so while on paper they were hired to do that 
the classic guiding work, really the sort of more non-on paper mm -hmm. agreement was that they would serve as a tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. The way they looked, for example, with their classic look, like they would have the classic guiding um, regalia with a distinctive ice axe and hemp ropes. And of course, very important, their trademark, a pipe in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really beautiful. Um, I encourage everyone to, to Google or, or look at those images. They're, they're beautiful, mm -hmm. um, the way they look. And so the CPR really was, in a way, take, I don't want to say taking advantage of it, but really instrumentalized the look. And that uh, they used that together with the entire Swiss motive, um, for example, uh, the CPR promoted the Canadian Rockies uh, as this famous tourist destination. And uh, there was a famous advertisement that called the Canadian Rockies the 50 Switzerlands in one. Mm -hmm. Or another slogan asked, why go to Switzerland when you can go to the Canadian Rockies, <laughs> right? Yeah. So they, they, they really um, use that. Um, and uh, it's so interesting for those early guides who would travel from Switzerland to Canada. They even um, had to pose in their full regalia in public spaces along the way in London and Montreal. And then later they post with those regalia at the CPR hotels, for example, at Lake Lewis, and people mm -hmm. would come and admire them. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we don't really know too much about how the Swiss guides felt about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we do have one quote by one of the guides, Edward Foyts Jr. And he said, in Switzerland, we were just plain folks, but in London and Canada, we were curiosities. So I would guess that to a certain degree, they probably enjoyed their moments of fame as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when did this change? When did the um, Swiss mountain guides become more than just this tourist attraction? You know, and when did they become more ambitious also uh, regarding mm -hmm. climbing and first ascents? Well, I think this changed with the changing clientele. Um, so, of course, the word went around among the mountaineering tourists in, in, in the States and in Canada that there are these Swiss guides and that, that there are these, these mountains to, to conquer. And so um, more and more people and more advanced climbers and, and mountaineers were attracted to come here. And so I think with that, the level of, of the guided climbing tours also was higher and made it in a way a bit more interesting for, for the Swiss guides. Mm -hmm. So when we look at those achievements, you know, of the Swiss guides, there are many first ascents, for example. What would you say were really the biggest achievements of, uh, of this first generation of Swiss guides? There are so many. Um, now, I want to say it depends a bit what you regard as first generation. I would say when we look at the time between 1899 and 1954, which is also called this golden age, of Swiss guides in Western Canada, uh, where approximately 35 Swiss guides were employed by the CPR. Um, again, so many achievements were made. Um, of course, the main achievements from a pure mountaineering perspective were those first ascents. So for example, by 1925, 
the guides had led more than 250 first ascents in the Rocky and Selkirk Mountains. That's a lot. Even entire mountain ranges were named after the Swiss guides. And then there are others. Uh, For example, one achievement was the first spectacular climb or the first ascent of Mount Assiniboine. And Mount Assiniboine sometimes is also called the Canadian Motherhorn. Um, That one was led by Chris Hesler and Christian Boren. Mm-hmm. So that definitely that was a great achievement. But then there were other achievements. For example, the Swiss guides helped to build the Abbot Hut. That's um, that's a hut that is very high up on 2,925 meters near Lake Louise. And you have to imagine that was very difficult to do a construction and it was dangerous. And the Swiss guides helped with the construction and this hut is still around today. And so thanks to the Swiss guides and their help with that, many tourists from Lake Louis were afterwards able to safely climb up the mountain and, and uh, seek shelter in the hut. Mm-hmm. And then another achievement that I, I mean, again, there are many, that, but another one that I would like to mention is definitely just that they ensured safety standards, right? They were able to establish certain safety protocols that were simply not there before them. And really, to summarize that, I think they showed people that mountains are not just obstacles, but they really instilled in them, I would say, a new appreciation for the adventure, but also for their beauty. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you said um, in the beginning, maybe it was not as attractive um, for the Swiss guides mm-hmm. to, come, to come and work in Canada because it wasn't that challenging. And then later that changed. But somehow so many Swiss guides came throughout the years. What was it that brought them here? You know, what was so attractive for the Swiss mountain guides to do that work, to to be hired by the CPR and to Mm -hmm. come to the Rockies? Yeah, well, I think there are many reasons. I mean, the one reason is really just to to go abroad and, and explore the mountains. I mean, they were mountaineers at heart and who, who doesn't want to explore the Rocky Mountains? Um, so that was definitely something. And then I think for the early guides, also the special way they were treated, right? They were treated as these famous, very unique guides. And that must have been flattering to a certain degree as well. And then um, there were some guides Uh, whose fathers were here already as guides. And also, in a way, they followed the footsteps uh, of their fathers. Uh, I think in particular of the Foyts family, where one of the first guides of the Foyts family came here, and then later three of his sons came as well as guides. Yeah. Um, But I want to briefly talk about the challenges too. Um, Definitely for those who came as seasonal guides, after a while, they missed their families. I mean, they had, fa- they had their wives and children back in Switzerland. And you can imagine that that wasn't easy. And then also the long traveling back and forth from Canada to Switzerland, that became a burden. And so that's when they demanded for their families to be able to stay in Canada. They talked to the CPR. And that's when eventually CPR um, decided to build houses for them and their Swiss families to come. That's how Edelweiss village came to be. 
Edelweiss village is a village that consists of six Swiss-style chalets, <laughs> and they were built on a bench above the rail track in Golden, BC. And that's when eventually in 1912, the Swiss guides moved into the chalets with their families. Yeah, and um, the Edelweiss village, actually, that's one of those traces that if you travel through the Rockies, you still see a lot of traces of the Swiss guides. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit more about the Edelweiss village and other such traces that we can still find today? Yes, um, and, and as you said, it is actually, it is so interesting to travel and see that. And when, um, and I want to say, I did this journey when originally when I did research for, for my books. And I myself was surprised where here and there you, you actually still see these traces. So I would recommend to everyone, if you have a chance, hopefully uh, soon, uh, when it gets better with the pandemic, if, if you can travel uh, it's 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 quite a, an interesting journey to trace uh, those stops um, related to the Swiss guides. So yes, the Edelweiss village in Golden BC is is one of this trace. Um, again, we have these six chalets. Um, however, we don't really know what will happen to the village at this point. They are currently advertised for sale. So the fate of the village is a bit unsure. There are current attempts to, to digitally preserve at least one of the chalets. Um, and um, so we hope that this will be possible. But of course, we also hope that there will be one way or another to preserve the entire village. And then also in Golden BC is actually a painted wall mural uh, that shows the Swiss guides. So if you are in Golden, go to the, cent the, the center of Golden and you will see this mural. It's easy to find. Um, yeah, and then of course there are the CPR hotels, the former, I should say, the former CPR hotels, such as the Fairmore Chateau in Lake Louise. And there, um, in these hotels, in, the pu in public rooms, they have decorated the rooms with historical photographs of the mountain guides. There is, for example, a bronze sculpture of a traditional Swiss mountain guide, also in Lake Louise, that people admire. And then in Banff, there is the White Museum of the Canadian Rockies, and they dedicated one section of their permanent exhibition to the history of the Swiss guides. And then last but not least, um, if you look around up the mountains, there are five peaks of the Mount Lyle mountain range that's on the border of Alberta and British Columbia, where um, where the peaks are named uh, after the Swiss guides. So you have the Walter Peak, the Ernest Peak, and the Edward Peak, uh, which uh, are, of course are named after the brothers, uh, Walter, Ernst, and Edward Foitz. Those are just a few traces. Yeah, so that's a wonderful tour that you just put together for all of us <laughs> for the next year yeah. the Rockies. <laughs> that is great. Thank you so much. And for these... Um, Swiss guides, of course, you know, they were used to the mountains. Many grew up around the mountains, but it must have been still very different when they came to Canada, right? Because the distances, just the, how big everything is, how vast. How was it for them to finally be here, you know, in the big Rocky Mountains? Well, definitely exciting. And again, I mean, 
<laughs> you know, as this slogan said, the Canadian Rockies, 50 Switzerlands in one. So um, definitely that was exciting. However, we know that they were also challenged by the distances. For example, I know um, or we know they were bothered by the long distances they had to travel in the first place to access a mountain. That's so completely different to Switzerland, um, where it seems like the mountain is right next to your house. And the way they had to travel to access the mountain in the first place troubled them too. For instance, they had to do uh, canoeing, and they, they never did canoeing before, so that was new to them. They had to do horseback riding. Uh, we know they were not the biggest fan of horseback riding. Uh, and for days, we're talking for days. Uh, and then also they had to at times camp overnight. And um, I don't think they particularly liked that either. So that was completely new to them. Mm -hmm. But of course, also, you know, such a, a vast landscape also gives you new possibilities because in Switzerland, those mountain ranges have been already discovered. They're, it was very difficult to do a first ascent. And of course, in, in the Rockies, that was completely different, right? A young um, Swiss guide could already have first ascents or several first ascents. So that must have been also one of the very attractive points, I assume. Yes, exactly. And um, for them and, of course, the clients. And we also know that um, when they did a first ascent, an important first ascent, I mean, there was a celebration afterwards. And, you know, um, and having said that, um, those successful first ascents, of course, led to very loyal clients. So they would come back year after year and then maybe try other new uh, first ascents as well. Even celebrities came, right, to, to climb the mountains together with the Swiss guides. Yes, that's right. To mention here is one um, famous person. It was the American artist Georgia Engelhardt. And Georgia uh, visited the Alps as a teenager, and that's how she became, became fascinated about climbing. And her uh, her Swiss guide of choice was one of the Foyts guides. It was Ernst Foyts, and she came back and climbed with him um, many times. Um, and Georgia was very dedicated and was in particular famous for her outstanding endurance and stamina. For instance, in 1929, she climbed nine major peaks in nine days. That's quite an achievement. And we have this... Um, a beautiful quote by Ed Voigt Jr., her Swiss guide. It's, it's along these lines. He said that the greatest joy of all for him was to climb the first ascents with women. For example, women such as Georgia Engelhardt, because they were so much more eager than men, he said. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it before that, you know, this golden age of the Swiss guys lasted until like 1954, I think you said. That was the last time the CPR hired Swiss guides. But that didn't mean that the Swiss guides stopped coming here, right? So later generations um, kept coming to the Rockies and had their own kinds of achievements. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about these later generations of Swiss mountaineers? Yes, so generally, I would say that the expertise that these later generations brought to Canada really allowed 
the Western Canadian mountaineering culture to reach the high status that it has today. I want to first mention, for example, the expertise in mountain rescue and avalanche research, and to name here are Walter Perrin and Peter Scherer. Uh, Peter Scherer can be called the father of avalanche safety in Canada, and he even uh, received the Order of Canada in the year 2000 for his achievements. So he definitely had a great influence. And then they were the Swiss who helped uh, to advance the mountain guiding profession. That's another thing that was not really that much advanced. They helped with the formation of what is today the Association of Canadian Mountain Guides. And then others were absolutely influential for the development of skiing. With that, I mean skiing as a recreational sport, but also skiing in the form of the development of ski resorts and ski schools, for example. I could name many names here, Maybe let me say a few, John Mono, Carl Ernst, Peter Alder, and Fred Bosinger. And then, of course, to mention is the ski lift technology. Um, the Swiss were and still are crucial today, I would say, <laughs> for that. And that's something that we can see today with, for example, Garaventa. Uh, and as you may know, for example, the peak-to-peak gondola in Whistler. Um, and then also to mention is heli skiing in Canada. I mean, in a way that Western Canada is so famous, it's such a famous destination for heli skiing. And I would go so far to say that it wouldn't be what it is today. Wouldn't it be thanks to the influence and expertise of Swiss ski and mountain guides, such as Rudy Gertsch, to name one of many. Yes, yes. And it's interesting that you mentioned Rudi Gerch um, for the heli skiing. Rudi Gerch is also one of the protagonists um, that we were lucky enough to meet for the filming of a documentary that the Swiss consulate in Vancouver made a few years ago. Um, the documentary is called Swiss Guides in the Canadian Rockies Beyond Adventure. And if you're interested in watching this documentary, please see the description of this episode on how to get access to that movie. And with this, I thank you so much, Ilona, for taking the time and to talk to us about this really, really interesting story of the Swiss guides in the Canadian Rockies and for helping us to see the Rocky Mountains a bit differently now. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.